This paid podcast is produced by Slate Studios in partnership with Teva Pharmaceuticals. I've gotten comments like on Twitter, like there's nothing funny about depression, but I think that there is. And so the name of the show, The Hilarious World of Depression, is sort of designed to be a little cheeky. If you can laugh about shared experience, then you can make it a little more approachable and you can make it easier to deal with because then it's not a monster anymore. This is Life Effects, a new podcast from Slate Studios that's committed to changing the way we think and talk about depression. I'm your host, Nikki Weber-Allen, and in every episode, I'll be introducing you to people who know depression inside and out, both through professional and personal experiences. Oh, I'm one of them, by the way. And I've been learning to live with depression for the last seven years. And I can tell you firsthand that the best way to understand the condition is to talk about it. So that's what we're going to do. Today, I'm lucky to be joined by John Moe for an in-depth look at depression in pop culture. John, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Nikki. So, John, you host a podcast called The Hilarious World of Depression, Can you tell us a little bit about your experience with depression and why you started this podcast? Yeah, I mean, my experience goes back as far as I can remember. The initial big blast came around junior high school, which when I talk with other people, the really common time when people first notice that there's something wrong, uh, there's no visible explanation for this. It was like this sort of panicky, uh, confusing, upsetting time that I couldn't really trace to anything. I had stress and I had hormones from puberty and, you know, I thought maybe that's what's going on, but it was a lot darker and a lot more negative and a lot more debilitating than any of that was supposed to be. So I lived with it though. Um, and I just figured, well, you know, there's no explanation for this. And so I'm just a weird guy. I'm just a a person who's going to have to live with this and probably not let on to anyone else that I have this hidden darkness, this thing that's, that's uh, going on inside me. And, uh, and that's how it was for me until, uh, until I was in my thirties and it got too much. I'm sure we'll talk about a lot of this stuff, but uh, one of the things that depression does is it makes you less likely and less willing to seek treatment because you don't think that you're worth it and you don't think somebody will understand you. And, and, you know, you put that on top of the stigma in our culture, um, that is improving. But when I was a, you know, younger, it was pretty bad. Insanity means, um, that you're not in the world, like that you're delusional, that you think you're Napoleon or whatever the Bugs Bunny cartoons uh, version of insanity was. And I thought, well, I'm not that. And, um, you know, the other popular uh, conception was that if you go on meds, then you'll just be this blissed out grinning idiot. And I, you know, I thought, well, I don't, I don't want to do that either. So I better just suffer. And, and uh, finally I, my wife is the one who said, well, don't you think you should get this checked out? And I said, no, it's, it's, I'll just, it's fine. I'll just live with it. And she said, well, if you don't want to do this for yourself, can you at least do it for me and the baby? And I said, oh yeah, well, I do love you. I'm not so sure about me, but I do love you. So I'll go get it checked out. And it was 
a tremendous relief when I finally got the diagnosis and, and was told that, yes, this is a, a thing that you have. This isn't a thing that you are, and it has a name, and we can go about fighting against this thing. And you didn't do anything wrong, and you're not some anomalous freak. You're just this person with the same disease millions of other people have. Right, right. And even your experience isn't uncommon. I mean, it typically, I think in half the cases, it starts in, in the teen yeah. years. Yeah. No, my case was, was fairly textbook, but again, it's, you know, it, it the disease isolates you. Mm-hmm. And so it can fester because diseases love to fester. That's right. That's right. Now tell us about the podcast. Was it your idea to create it and, and talk about what's a typical episode like? <laughs> yeah, it was my idea. I, um, I was thinking about, cause I would sometimes tweet about, mental illness and destigmatization. Um, and I started doing that after, after my brother committed suicide in 2007 from a uh, largely untreated and undiagnosed depression. And I thought, well, we got to do something about this. We got to start talking about this. So when social media came around, that's what I started doing. And I noticed a huge response to whenever I wrote about that, more so than any other topic I talked about. And I thought, well, there's, there seems to be a hunger here. There seems to be a lot of people who are willing to participate in a conversation about this as long as they don't have to initiate it. So if I initiate it, we might get something going. So I took that and then I, I know a lot of comedians from different projects that I've worked on. And I thought, well, comedians are good at explaining things that people didn't know other people also thought when a comedian has a line about something that you've never heard articulated, but have felt you laugh because there's a sense of relief and a sense of kinship with what they're saying. So I thought, well, why don't we put that chocolate and peanut butter together and, and make something new where, where comedians and, you know, there's no shortage of, of comedians who've dealt with depression. So on a typical show, uh, it's, it's really simple. It's me and a guest and I interview them about their lives and their careers in comedy or careers adjacent to comedy and their depression and their kind of history of mental illness, things they've tried that have worked and things that haven't worked. It's not because I'm doing anything especially bold in terms of format. I'm just having a conversation that people want to have that not a lot of people are having. And, uh, but I think that's hopefully starting to change. Yeah, it does seem to be starting to change. And I think your approach is probably helping people to talk about this more. Your work shows how pervasive depression is in entertainment. Where in pop culture do you think we encounter depression the most? Well, I don't know. I mean, I think that you're starting to see it more, more mainstream now where, uh, there's a treatment about it that that isn't um, focused entirely about the depression. I mean, I, I think uh, as entertainment gets a little bolder and can make a, you know, a gay character who isn't purely about being gay, they're just a, you know, they're a person who happens to be gay on top of all the other complex things a human being happens to be. Uh, I hope that you're starting to see that more in in entertainment with mental illness. Um, at the same time, you're, you're seeing maybe not so much in in network programming, um, but certainly in uh, like on demand programming. Um, it's it's coming out um, 
in comedy, certainly like I, you know, uh, Maria Bamford was on our show and she's just one of my favorite, one of my favorite comedians and one of my favorite humans. Um, and her show Lady Dynamite, oh, yeah. uh, deals a lot with her bipolar too. I mean, the Maria herself is bipolar too. As she says, it's the same one as Demi Lovato and Catherine Zeta Jones. So it's a very sexy mental illness. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, and then you look at Bojack Horseman on Netflix, uh, who is a, you know, one of the most, uh, nuanced and deepest, uh, representations and most honest representations of depression out there. It just happens to be as told through a cartoon horse. Uh, but it's, but it's really, uh, you know, it, it, it captures the complexity of depression where, where it's not being shown as, uh, you know, this is depression is somebody who's, who's moping around and is just sad all the time. So yeah, I think it's starting to get a little, a little more mainstream, a little better. And I also should mention, um, Kevin probably saves the world, which is a, a, yeah, is a on new network one, TV. right? Yeah. Yeah. And Jason Ritter, um, is on that and, and he is a formerly suicidal, person and the episodes I've seen, they haven't really spelled out that he's depressed. He's more a person kind of looking for meaning, but Jason's a smart guy and a really good actor. And, and you can see, you can read between the lines of what he's doing, that he is a, a character who is having mental troubles, who's trying to get things back on track. I have to check that one out. I haven't seen that one yet. Yeah. So speaking generally, do you think depression gets a Hollywood makeover of sorts, turning a serious, life-threatening condition into something innocuous or aspirational? I mean, it's – no, not really. I, I think depression is so many different things. It can be a nuisance and it can be a life-threatening condition. Um, it can be – it can be exacerbated by – real world events. It could be unconnected to real world events. Um, I think it's, uh, you know, what I don't see as much, um, and what, what I used to see more was mental illness being treated like the name of the, the illness is mental illness and the sort of generalized craziness of just the, the crazy character and you don't really know exactly how they're crazy and the writer and the actor and the director probably didn't know either. It just, you needed somebody to be an agent of chaos in your story. So you have the person be mentally ill. I think hopefully uh, we're starting to see more of a, a drilling down and saying, okay, this is what, you know, this person has, this person is depressed. This person's bipolar too. This person's, you know, PTSD, whatever it is. And, and uh, getting down to some specifics, which makes for better entertainment for the rest of us. Right. I mean, we're a story-driven culture. We want to be told stories. And um, the more specific a story can be, the better it's going to be. Uh, and so if, you, if you're telling the story about someone with a mental illness and it's bipolar 2, you better know the difference between that and – major depressive disorder or obsessive compulsive disorder or anything else. Um, and so ultimately I think it benefits everybody, but I don't think any, any subject should be off limits, uh, for entertainment. Just, I just think that somebody who sets out to tell a story that involves an illness should know the specifics of it. 
So you're saying that people need to do their homework, Mm -hmm. but what happens when they don't? Why don't more people get upset by inaccurate representations, the way many people criticize incomplete portrayals of race, gender, or sexuality? Is it our fault for being equally uninformed? I think part of it is that it's you can't hold up a depression to the camera. You can't say this is what it looks like. This is how much it weighs. This is what color it is. Um, it's it's such a weird, weird thing. And the brain is already just this pile of mystery goo that, you know, you, you talk to neuroscientists. They're like, we don't know much about what's going on right. in there. We're doing our best with what we have, but it's still such a mystery. Um, and depression is this thing that, you know, I, <laughs> I've, I've gone pro with depression. Millions of people have it. I went pro and, uh, <laughs> and I still can't describe it very effectively. Right. So I think part of it is, you know, if someone is, is portraying it, on screen or on pages or, you know, on, in a song, it's hard to say what it's not. I mean, a lot of people can say what it is, but you know, if, if your depression takes a certain form and you describe it that way, who am I to say that's not depression because that might be your experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think the intangibility of it gets in the way and, there's also, you know, there's shame to it. You're not supposed to be depressed. Um, and people who have it often feel ashamed of it because, you know, they might think, well, I've got a, a, a house and I've got a job and uh, I've got a family. You know, what do I have to be depressed about? And so it's like saying it's such a nice day. What do you what is there to have a broken leg about? Um, you know, you, you've got it so well, why have leukemia? (laughs) I don't want leukemia, (laughs) but here we are. I think the danger is the traditional story arc of entertainment where, you know, the, the hero's journey, the hero is, is challenged and must go on a quest and defeat an undefeatable foe to become a more evolved state of his or herself. Um, and that's, that's sort of the formula for every movie and TV show that you see for the most part. Mm-hmm. And so in that narrative, depression becomes an obstacle and then you overcome the obstacle. And that's not really how mental illness works the representations that I guess sometimes bother me and I'm just now realizing this are when a person is depressed and then they overcome an obstacle. And then in the end, you know, it's a TV show that needs to reset all its characters to where they were at the beginning of the TV show. And it's like, it never happened or, you know, or they learn to love themselves and they learn a lesson about the true meaning of friendship or some such nonsense. And then that cures their depression when in fact it's a chemical imbalance. If I could be cured by people hugging me, I would have by right. now. Right. Um, and so I, I think the, the, the idea of the, the pat treatment is, uh, is really frustrating and, and, uh, unrealistic. What about the concept of the suffering artist? 
Aren't we meant to believe that depression is some sort of a badge of honor in that way? Yeah, I think that's the stupidest thing in the world. <laughs> I really do. I, I used to, I used to be more open minded about it. I think I used to be more, well, I could see both sides of that story, but no, I've decided that that's just a stupid concept. Um, and the more people I talk to about it, the more, the more that gets reinforced that, that that's just not the way it is. I mean, I talked with Amy Mann on my show, who's, uh, wonderful, wonderful person, wonderful musician. And she says, no, when I'm depressed, nothing comes out. You know, it, she says, I, I've just built a wall around myself and nothing gets out into the world and nothing gets into me. It's not like there's a valve, a hole in that wall that the creativity magically flows through. Everything is shut down. Um, I just talked with Jeff Tweedy from Wilco for my show and, and he said, he said, no, you don't. When you're in a bad way, you know, he said, I, I can't create anything. You know, there would have been more Wilco albums if mm. not for depression. There would have been a lot more Nirvana albums. There would have been, you know, more Sylvia Plath poems. There would have been a lot of things um, if it wasn't for this disease. And do you think it's harmful? It could be. I mean, it could be if if people – if that's the information that people are getting about mental illness. I mean, that's why we have to destigmatize it um, so that there is a more uh, truthful general public understanding of what this thing is. I mean, if uh, we break the stigma, not just to feel better, but as a public health issue. And so if people are out there, uh, suffering with this thing and more people are talking about it, they can say, oh, that sounds like what I'm going through. And, uh, you know, maybe I'm not such a, a freak after all. I'm going to make an appointment with my doctor. And then that person, uh, you know, won't put a bullet in their head. That's right. And so and so that's I think that's what it's about. Like you know, the, the fight against stigma isn't isn't, uh, you know, so we can all be proud or some abstract notion, um, you know, I fight stigma so somebody else doesn't lose their brother like I did. That's, right. um, that's, all, that's all it's about for me. Tell us about a time when you walked away from an episode and said, wow, I really did a lot of good here. <laughs> I wish I could. <laughs> um, I don't ever see it as me doing a lot of good. Um, I see it. I mean, it's, I have a craft to what I do and, and my producers do as well, where if we feel like we portrayed a person's situation in a really clear and understandable way, then we feel like we've crafted something useful and honest for the world. We interviewed Gary Gullman recently, who's an amazing comic and has been fighting depression for a very long time. And um, we got to talking about his football career, his college football career. And, you know, he's 6'6 and incredibly athletic and went to Boston College on a Division One football scholarship, right? You know, every kid's dream. But he had the soul of a poet and he had the soul of a comedian. And... uh and the whole hitting other people and being hit by other people thing just wasn't for him. Um, plus the, you know, the depression that was emerging even more. 
And he talked about going to a counselor who said, why don't you just quit football? He just broke down crying, remembering that story 25 years later. And it surprised him that that was so meaningful being asked, why don't you just quit football? And I mean, I felt, I don't feel good about making Gary cry, (laughs) but if I can create a situation where a person can, you know, come to a discovery about their own journey, their own struggle, um, then I feel like I've engendered that possibility for the listener a little bit as well. Um, that by talking through what their issues are and what they're going through, that maybe they can, they can make a discovery, um, as well. Tell me your thoughts on, um, mental health and sports. Like you're starting to hear a lot more about this connection between football injuries and depression and that sort of a thing. Yeah. Um, it's tricky. I mean, certainly with, I mean, football is, I, I'm in this conundrum where I watch football every weekend, but I know that it is a systematic and intentional maiming of human beings being done for my amusement, mm-hmm. um, which, which is super troubling, but I will watch football this weekend all the same, uh, knowing that, that a lot of these guys are, go- are going to be heading for a life of depression. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also a huge basketball fan and I've seen a, a lot of, stories of players, of basketball players who are depressed and it's a physical impediment because they, they can't perform at their best. They can't be in, in peak physical performance. I think in, in athletics and, you know, you've seen this in tennis too. You see the physical manifestations of depression, which is a mental disease. It's a mental illness. Um, but it has ramifications in a very real physical form. Uh, and I think too, that, that so often an athlete is judged on their ability to, to be invulnerable and to be, uh, you know, perfect to be the, the ideal human. And, um, that I don't know, but I would think that that might make them more reluctant to seek treatment for something like this. Even in my experience, I'm, I'm a mental health activist myself. And mm-hmm. what I'm finding, people, when I first started down this path, people would say to me, oh, it's so stigmatized. Nobody wants to talk about that. What I'm finding is the more I talk about it and the more open I am, yeah. other people share their stories and feel comfortable sharing their stories. So it's not to me that people don't want to talk about it. It's that they do want to talk about it, but in a safe space. They don't want to be the first to talk about it. They don't want to be the only one to talk about it. Yeah, no, people are starving to talk about it. And that's a big reason that I started the show. If I need to be the first one to talk about it, then that's fine. I'll I'll do that. I mean, I I give speeches sometimes and people might be a little hesitant to walk into a speech about depression. It's it's depression and it's a speech. So it's kind of a double whammy of terrible things. But I tell people that the hopeful note in all this is that it's really easy to take a positive step yourself, you can find somebody who you know, somebody who in your family or in your group of friends, whoever it is, and just say, how are you doing mentally? How's your mental health? And the person might say fine and walk away, but they know at that point that the door is open, right. you know, and, and those are the doors that we have to, 
to get open, to open that door to that or future conversations goes a long way. That's right. Just being there to listen, right? Yeah. So is there still more work to be done? Oh, there's lots of work to be done. I have found that depression is not a solo artist. It's part of a band for most people, There's, or at least part of a duo. I will say, especially depression and anxiety are the hall and oats of mental illnesses. <laughs> you really can't separate them. They always ride together. And a lot of people, you know, they have depression and an eating disorder. They have anxiety and they have OCD. You know, there's so much to be done to figure out uh, how these things intersect, how they overlap, what are, you know, what's chemical, what's cultural, what's nature, what's nurture. Um, and, you know, I'm, again, I'm not a researcher. I'm, I'm a storyteller and all I'm trying to do is, is try to, and this will probably take the rest of my life. Um, but to cover as broad a scope as possible about these stories to engender the conversation, um, you know, to get people on the track to, to getting, healthy or getting healthier is is what I'm trying to do. I don't, I don't think that job's going to be over anytime soon. Well, John, thank you so much for sharing this time with us. And I love ending it on my favorite quote of the day, which is depression and anxiety are the hall and oats of mental health. <laughs> thank you for that. Life Effects is produced by Slate Studios and Teva Pharmaceuticals. The vice president of Slate Studios is Sharon Wong. The producer is Kalalia. The associate producer is Leah Campbell. The audio engineer is Ann Pope. The composer is L.D. Brown. The story editor is Ryan Caton. And special thanks to Teva's Life Effects team. This podcast is a joint production of the Slate Group and Teva Pharmaceuticals. Some of the individuals in this podcast have been paid for their contributions by the Slate Group on behalf of Teva. All content is strictly informational and should not be considered medical advice. This content is designed and approved for use in the United States only.